Welcome to Babel Undone, a podcast created by Premier in partnership with Archbishop Joseph D'Souza and the Good Shepherd Church of India. Bishop D'Souza is a renowned Christian intellectual and civil rights activist from India who leads the Good Shepherd Movement and the All India Christian Council. And I'm Johnny Moore, an American evangelical who serves as the president of the Congress of Christian Leaders and JDA Worldwide. We live in an interconnected world where the questions are complex. So on every episode of Babel Undone, Bishop D'Souza and I aim to bring the global church together in conversation about an important issue facing everyone. And we do it from different perspectives. Bishop comes from the East and I come from the West. So naturally, we meet in London. So uh, uh, Bishop D'Souza, what are we going to talk about today? Ministry to the uh, integrated ministry to the whole person. And this is an old phrase I've heard a lot in the United States and around the world. We are not to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. I always laugh because it is sometimes true. The church is often better at telling people how to live than understand their actual lives. Today we are going to talk about uh, doing ministry to the whole person and from a a woman who is actually involved in this. What I, what I love about our, our guest today, Bishop Kimberly uh, Deckel, is that uh, she's a trained social worker. Her, her education um, led her to have uh, frequent and direct interactions with people in all kinds of circumstances, as a therapist, as a hospice social worker, working in foster care and, uh, and adoptions. She also has an MA in missional theology, and she does her ministry uh, from the very, very heart of the Bible Belt in the United States of America, from the state of Texas. It's our privilege to welcome Kimberly Deckel. Now, I, we know you. Uh, we know who Kimberly De- Deckel is. But if someone from our audience would say, ask, who is Kimberly Deckel? How would you describe yourself? What, what, what story would you tell them about yourself? I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And in terms of my faith, I was actually raised in the Unitarian Church, and so people often find that interesting and have questions about that and how that led me to being a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. I think that also touches on a lot of the things that I'm passionate about today, Um, but there was something pretty significant missing uh, growing up in the Unitarian Universalist Church, and that was um, a true understanding of who Jesus was. And so at a pretty young age, I started asking a lot of questions around that. Um, and the Trinity and and things like that. And it was actually a space where I was able to ask those questions, but also came to recognize that what I was feeling pulled toward, what I believed was different than that. And I think that as I moved in middle school and had opportunities to spend a lot of time um, in other churches, like evangelical churches, Presbyterian churches, I came to know Jesus and became a Christian. Um, And that was obviously hugely formational for me, my journey into becoming a Christian and following Jesus. But I was also really shaped by a lot of the issues of justice that I learned about in the Unitarian context in which I was raised in. And so both of those things, um, as I began college and decided to major um, an undergraduate degree in social work, um, began to shape me 
But then my faith was always very connected to that. And so fast forward, um, as I mentioned, today I am an Anglican priest. I serve as an executive pastor at Church of the Cross in Austin. I spent a chunk of my career, about 13, 14 years, working as a social worker. Um, I worked with women in substance abuse treatment. I worked um, as a hospice social worker in foster care and adoption, um, and those things very much inform how I operate and move in the world today. And for me, it's always been um, just sort of a natural connection between my faith, my following of Jesus, my life with him, and these issues of justice, care for humanity, and what does it look like to live out my Christian faith um, in the day-to-day, connecting those things to it. And so um, as my role in my role at Church of the Cross, I also help lead our missions team and then um, do work with um, City to City North America, helping lead a faith, work, mercy, and justice initiative, which is I'm leading a team in North America, but we also actually have um, members of that team and that project in India, in the UK, in Africa, Asia, all over the world. Um, so that's a really great project to be a part of. I have a husband of almost 13 years, and we have a daughter named Keenan, who is 11. We um, moved here to Austin, Texas, almost two years ago, and we enjoy um, good food in the outdoors. <laughs> So I will uh, pause I, there. That was uh, for, for all of our international, um, uh, I guess we're all international listeners, but um, for, for, for those of us outside of the United States, Austin is like a super cool uh, city. <laughs> so, and, the, and it's one of the fastest growing cities in America. A lot of the tech sectors yeah. move from northern California to Austin. Uh, but there's this adage in Austin, which is keep Austin weird. <laughs> and yeah. it's, an, it's an amazing yeah. city. Um, I got a question, though. Uh, yeah. I have never in my life actually met someone um, who uh, went from the Unitarian Universalist Church uh, into a more traditional traditional church community. Yeah. And so I'm just so curious about about that. I hear about a lot of people that go from more traditional communities into, say, um, the other direction, you know, but I don't hear a lot of people going from. Um, you know, in that way, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm betraying my my limited life experience here. I've walked past a lot of Unitarian churches. I'm not sure I've ever met, you know, someone who um, uh, who worships at one. And so I'm just really, really yeah. curious about that experience. Yeah. So to give a little more background, so um, I'm biracial. My mother, my parents are both deceased. Um, my mother was white. My father was black. And my mom was raised in the Catholic Church. Um, she came from a very Irish Catholic family, um, Catholic church all the way through Catholic schools. And then my dad was raised um, in the Black Baptist Church um, just outside of St. Louis. And oftentimes I think, which you'll find common if you happen to meet other folks um, from the Unitarian tradition, is you kind of end up with sort of this like melting pot. People who've grown up and been raised in maybe different traditions aren't quite sure what they believe or what they want to kind of believe sort of as a family or as a married couple. And so that's how my my parents ended up in that space. And I think for my mom, especially a part of ending up in that space was um, she experienced quite a bit of um, really kind of like legalism around her faith and in her upbringing and didn't feel like she had much sort of like choice or space to ask questions. And so I think both she and my dad wanted something different for my sister and me. And so that's how we, you know, ended up in that space. But 
Um, I was baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church. So that was kind of one of those things, I think, for my mom, just what you do, you know, as a good Catholic, regardless of where you're going to end up, like baptize your kids in the Catholic Church. But I think um, it's interesting when I look back on my own story of of coming to faith, um, the liturgy, Catholicism, like Roman Catholicism and Catholicism, um, generally just really... um, I don't know, like there was kind of a pulling toward it for me as I began exploring what my expression of sort of Christianity would look like, sort of, you know, these historic traditions, the the liturgy, those types of things. And so when I I realized at a young age, and I think um, I have these really um, clear memories of of Jesus, like really drawing near to me in different ways. My childhood was pretty chaotic. um, And that was a part of what began causing me to ask these questions, just this like real um, significant moments in my childhood of feeling like the presence of the Lord with me and mm-hmm. and knowing that like in the space where I, that I was being raised in, the recognition was, yes, Jesus existed. He was a good guy, right? He's somebody who's, who's like teachings we should follow. He's not our Lord and Savior. Um, you know, there wasn't recognition of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And those things began to, um, they were in conflict for me, hmm. the idea that Jesus was just a good guy, um, but really the, the pulling I felt toward Jesus as my Savior. Um, and so while I did not agree, right, be- be- began to realize I didn't agree with the teachings of the Unitarian Church, it was a space where I was able to like ask all the questions with no judgment. It was also, I would say, a space that felt um, safe for us as an interracial family. You know, in the 80s, um, I was born in 1980. And at that point, as crazy as it is, in the U.S., interracial marriage had really been only been legal for less than a decade. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, um, so I would say that the Unitarian Church did offer that to just a space that was safe, a space where there were a few other interracial families. Um, so that was informative as well. What, uh, what uh, impressed me when I was there with you all and driving through those streets of Austin was the number of homeless people, mm. the people sleeping on the streets, you know, in a city like Austin. I would expect to see that in our part of the world, but to see this in America and the rise of the immigrant poor and the new poor and the drug right. addicts, etc. And you were drawn to the work of uh, social justice and social care. What was it in your life that led you in that direction? Yeah, I think that it's, been, it's one of those things that's hard to even identify um, when I began feeling pulled in that direction, it kind of feels like one of those things that just from the very beginning, I would say that um, my parents always had a deep care for the marginalized. And that was a part of certainly kind of our family culture. I was looking back at pictures not too long ago and just was reminded of things that we participated in in St. Louis, where I grew up, um, around issues of justice, race, um, when I was at the church that I was raised in, we did something called Room at the Inn, where we would host um, families who were experiencing homelessness. And so people who were members of the congregation would come, cook meals for them, share meals with them. We would spend the night with them at the church. Wow. Um, and so that was something that I started, like, I'm, I don't know, I was, I was probably a toddler when I was first involved um, in that work. And so it's just kind of been woven throughout um, my life in different ways. And so as I was even beginning to explore what 
vocation would mean for me um, in high school and considering college, um, social work felt like a very natural fit and um, has allowed me to continue a lot of that work. Um, I also, in that same time, was, you know, yeah, late high school, felt a draw toward pastoral ministry as well, but actually began my career with social work. Um, and related to, I'll pause for a sec. I, I, the fact that you, the fact that you were in um, in social work uh, before you were in full time ministry, how, how is that in, uh, you know, how is that informed uh, the way you approach uh, how yeah. you how you care for people? Yeah, I mean, it, it informs it again, kind of in in every way. Um, I feel really fortunate to have had the training that I have coming from a social work background. So I did a bachelor's in social work, and then I also did a master's degree. So with a master's degree, a lot more specific kind of clinical training. And I use that work, I would say, every day in my work as a priest and as a pastor um, in our local parish. And as I practiced social work, I also couldn't really separate my faith from that work that I was doing. And I think similarly, it's very difficult for me to operate um, as a pastor and and leave kind of behind the things that I've learned in social work. When I think about Jesus and who he is and how he operated in the world, I often, there's there's lots of ways to describe him, but a lot of the stuff that he was doing was, was social work. You know, Jesus the, the social like, worker. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've never... <laughs> I've, I've, I have, uh, I've never heard that, uh, but that, that is a, that is an interesting, interesting way of looking at, at all he did, you know, caring for people. Uh, yeah. And I think that one of my favorite things about social work is that we really look at like the whole person, right. Mm-hmm. And all of the needs and, and assessing them. And I think that when we think about who Jesus is, right, like <laughs> obviously he's like caring for the person in their spirituality, um, their life. But also, like, he cares about their physical well-being, their emotional well-being. He recognizes um, the ways in which people are marginalized and pushed out of society. Um, Like, if we think of the Samaritan woman and the way in which he approached her, and even the, like, um, the posture in which he approached her was one of understanding and of thinking of of all of who she was, kind of her social location in the world. and so, yeah, I think that one of the ways we could think of Jesus is, is as a social worker. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, and in your social work, the issue of justice keeps on coming, right? Regularly? Absolutely. Yeah, and how, how, how does that impact what you're doing, especially yeah, the, so in the America of today? Yeah, so today, I mean, you brought up um, Archbishop D'Souza, um, the problem of, of homelessness, of the unhoused in Austin, right? And um, we moved here from Phoenix, and Phoenix has a very similar problem. In the U.S., the cost of housing um, just continues to skyrocket. And so a lot of what we're seeing are more and more people unable to afford housing, um, more and more people who have um, stable, unstable housing, unstable, sorry, unstable housing. So folks who may not previously have been unhoused but are now having difficulty affording homes, people who um, are evicted, and then kind of woven into that, we see issues of mental health, substance use, um, and then another layer of that connected to that in many ways, too, um, are the, the immigrant populations that we see all over the U.S. and in larger cities, but also in rural areas. And so all of those things are connected and are certainly things that the church should be responding to. Um, oftentimes, the church is not 
all that well equipped to respond to those things though. And so I think for me, that's another way in which um, my experience in social work um, is informing the work that I do and just how we are um, discipling really our people and forming our people and our parish to begin thinking about those things. I think it's a big challenge uh, for for churches and 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 just you know people if they generally they care about people they care about these issues but knowing knowing how um, to to help people and and I think what people think is they think about solving the problem right mm. solving the problem of homelessness or solving or you know solving the problem of of uh, our mental health crisis or solving whatever solving the problem. And is that a is that a wrong approach uh, from the from the very beginning? I mean, and and you used uh, three amazing words. You said physical, emotional, spiritual. You know, as a like take us take us through it when you uh, you know unlike a uh, a pastor who, who you know is leading their local congregation and doesn't have the social work sort of like background. Um, how do you view this when you see that person laying on this on on the when on the street? You know, when you see that that person wandering aimlessly around, like um, like what comes to your mind first? Like like what do yeah. you do from that moment? Yeah. So what comes to my mind first is that that person um, is a human created in the image of God, hmm. and I think that remembering that, like in any interaction that we have with another person, whether they're somebody who's unhoused um, or whether it's somebody that we're like sitting next to it at a stoplight and frustrated with them because of how they're driving, like centering ourselves in that. Wait, I think you were following me the other day. I find that to be really helpful, right? <laughs> and so oftentimes um, for folks, especially who are unhoused, um, it's, it's, it's rare that they experience someone just treating them like, like a human being. And so, I mean, this is very real for me, for our church right now. Um, we have seen a really significant increase in the last six months or so of folks finding refuge on our church property. We're in um, a part of Austin that's kind of close to several sort of major highways. We also have um, quite a bit of kind of wooded space around us, and our building is kind of tucked back in a corner. And so folks find um, sort of some like privacy, a sense of safety here. We also have a lot of water spigots. And so in this very kind of just wrapping up hot Austin summer, a lot of folks are attracted here because of the water. And so um, most days over the last several weeks, I've been interacting um, with people who are finding refuge here on our campus. And kind of that initial thing is just like sitting down and talking with them, just like you would with somebody that you've just met and just getting to know them and hear a bit of their story. And I think a piece of that is not centering the conversation in the fact that they um, are without housing and that they're, you know, on our property. It's more just kind of like getting to know them and listening. And I think that, you know, that um, does not necessarily feel comfortable to everybody right away. But that initial piece of, of like a pause and reminding ourselves that, God cares about these people. Hmm. They are created in his image, regardless of what their story is and what has led them um, to the situation that they're in. And we are not going to be able to solve the whole problem. But being treated like a human being um, and with dignity and love, um, I think can be a really good place to start, even if it makes you uncomfortable. And it probably will. And, and, and it seems like as Christians, we should be uncomfortable more, yeah. more often, Absolutely. but can I ask like a practical question, Bishop? Yeah. Um, 
so you use the term unhoused. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people use the term homeless. I've used the term homeless. I think there's that's probably with some intentionality. Like why why do you choose why do you prefer that vocabulary yeah. word? So this is one of those tricky things, right? Where I would also say like there's no shame in using like whatever language, right? We're all always learning. Terms are always changing. Um, but one of the things about if we use if we talk about someone being unhoused, then it's less about like the person is homeless themselves, right? Because we don't identify ourselves as with a home, right? It's not like I'm Kimberly, I am with a home or I have a home, right? Um, so when we use the word term, when we talk about somebody being unhoused, it's less of an identifier of who that person and that individual is and describes more about their current situation. And for so many people, um, like there is, it can be a really chronic thing, but for a lot of people, they're sort of in and out of the experience of being unhoused. Um, I also, once I get, begin to know somebody, if they use the term homeless to identify themselves, then I also like take that as a cue that that's something that like that they're comfortable and okay with. But I like to try to approach a situation um, with a term that may feel like it's less of an identifier of who they are. And uh, among the homeless that you have uh, unhoused that you have seen, yeah, is there what's the proportion of the ethnic background? How many? So that's a really good question. And interestingly, the vast majority of the people that we've been interacting with um, on our church property and near it have been white. Wow. Um, yeah, and that's a bit of a shift in some of the demographics. I wish I had the exact um, number for you, but I just maybe kind of midsummer heard a story that had just sort of like current numbers of those who are experiencing homelessness in Austin and um, it was like the highest proportion were white men. And I think that probably like that struck me. And I'd imagine too, for people who are listening to this outside of the US, that's also probably feels a bit yeah. striking in yeah. different sort of the story we may hear. Yeah, the assumption would be. But Johnny, how, how does this happen in such a rich, wealthy country like America, you got money to give to Ukraine, you got money to throw here, there, everywhere, and and unable to take care of your own citizens. Where do you put the finger on this? <laughs> it's like a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't you know, see. Bishop, but here's, but here's what I do know. Um, the church in every, is in every corner of, of, of the United States, and um and it seems to me that uh if if our churches um got their act together um then uh, I don't want to talk about solving the problem but the uh the percentage uh, would decrease significantly um but but that's not the you know it's not the case and it, and it just is um like a, 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 you know if you go to um, the Dream Center in Los Angeles, uh, which I served on the board of uh, for uh, for a while. Um, when I was with the people at the Dream Center, they loved those people so much, and and not every case was a success case. In fact, many of them weren't, and the 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 difficulty of continuing on and serving people in the most difficult seasons of life um, 
it has to be a personal it's got to be a personal mission it's got to be in the dna of 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 the church and i i just it's it's not the reputation of the church to be focused enough on these issues so you know where's the government well it's and i think a lot of the churches expect the government to solve it and and we're we're talking we're talking past each other um but what you're doing um is you know a lot of a lot of people i've met who are counselors um Mm -hmm. uh and and in and in social work psychologists psychiatrists they've had there's like one client or a series of clients or series of cases that sort of stick with them they're in their memory they inspired them and I'm wondering, Kimberly, if you have um, a few of a few of those in your own life. You know, when you look back and you say interacting with this person was personally transformative or helped me. Absolutely. Um, I think even to some of your, your point um, when you were talking about the Dream Center. So in Phoenix, we had a Dream Center as well. Um, and a piece of the work or a piece of how I've thought often about my work um, as a social worker was that like that similar idea. Like I'm not going to fix all the world's problems. You know, um, but having just sort of these interactions with folks where maybe in like a year, there's like one or two where there, we really see like transformation in their lives. That's oftentimes what allowed me to keep going. And so when I first began in social work, I worked in rural Missouri um, with women who were in substance abuse treatment. Um, and that this was in the kind of early 2000s. And so methamphetamine was really big then and it was really um you know yeah like taking over kind of these rural parts of missouri and other states and i the women that we would work with would start with us in residential treatment and so i would have a client who i would see every like all of them, i would see my clients every single day for individual therapy and then as they graduated from that program they would step down um, to an outpatient program and kind of slowly taper off so i had women that i would work with for two to three years at a time um, and I had one woman in particular who I still, to this day, will often think about her story and just the progression that she made coming to us straight from having been in prison because of her substance use and then successfully graduating from the program. And at the time that she graduated, she graduated with like a stable job, um, had gained so much stability, had a significant amount of sobriety. And so that woman, her story is one that sticks with me. When I worked with youth um, who were in residential treatment, I had a few whose stories um, similarly would just stuck with me, kids who I would start working with in kind of, you know, 14, 15 and children who then I would still receive um, like emails from later on when they were in college and in places in which their lives were much more stable, kids who had essentially grown up in the foster care system and had kind of been written off. Um, and then you know, as we even move into some of the work today and some of the folks that we are interacting with, like on our church campus, part of what's felt really encouraging to me are the people who just like stay in touch um, mm-hmm. and the people who we've been able to build some relationship with and who um, begin to build, I think, some levels of trust with us, too, and can trust us with some of the more um, sort of vulnerable parts of their story. And I think that any time when you're talking about this type of work and even for folks who are parishioners in the church thinking about how do they interact or address issues of homelessness in their cities um it starts really small you know um and it starts just with those like singular interactions with people um and allowing yourself in those moments too i think to um acknowledge the presence of like the holy spirit moving Mm. and working in those interactions with others wonderful uh we have a question for you we don't need to take much time 
but uh, on this you're a priest but you're an ordained women priest woman priest and i'm following all the crazy debates going on in america how have you found that oh man how have i found that <laughs> so i mean the honest answer i mean it, it's hard there are complicated things about it right one of the things though that as i talk with other female colleagues who are priests and pastors in other settings is that i think that all of us would say in a different in different ways but you know, we're answering a call, right? We're answering a call from God. And so whether or not somebody agrees with us serving as women, priests and pastors, like we're answering a call from the Lord, right? And somebody else doesn't get to like decide that for us. Most of us haven't stepped into this work because we want to stir things up and create controversy. Um, we're doing it because the Lord has called us to this important work. And so it can be hard at times, but it is an absolute privilege. Um, uh, last question. Do yes. we need more uh, pastors or do we need more social workers? <laughs> uh, we need more pastors who are also social workers. Social workers. <laughs> it was a trick question. I mean, you you, you, you there, passed the test, Kimberly. <laughs> there are, I mean, there are seminaries who have programs that are like MDivs, like dual MDivs and social work degrees. Um, so we need more of that, I think. I think so too. And uh, and we can still believe that we can change the world one person at a time, one community yeah. at a time. We don't have to worry about. That was you are <laughs> you really you really Kimberly. Um, my my youth pastor <coughs> took me um, to a church in Lower Manhattan when I was like fifteen years old, mm-hmm. and um, poor church, uh, diverse church in New York City. Um, and every day, twice a day for a week, we went to visit, um, the, you know, the, the homeless in the, in the area there. Um, yeah. almost nothing affected my life like that, like that experience. And exactly what you said, like, just he, all you have to do is just sit down and say, yeah. no, tell me about you. It is amazing yeah. how, how these people, no one had talked to them or they, or they right. were just talking to each right. other and their, and their experiences. Yeah. And I remember some of the people I met, their stories were un. It's just absolutely unbe- unbelievable. And you yeah. think with the cost of housing and all of these things, like everybody, you have a few bad medical bills, you, you yeah. a few things just yeah. like this, you know, just like I mean, this, though. Absolutely. I mean, for my for my family, um, when I was in when I was in college, my parents got divorced and my I was away, you know, living in college, living off of student loans because my parents, I, I mean, I guess and some scholarships that my parents couldn't afford it. And my sisters, who's younger than me, was still living at home with my mom. I mean, and they were absolutely paycheck to paycheck, like like so close to having experienced um, a period of being without a home. And there were times when they were living with friends of my mom's. And so I think even that, like that, for so many of us, it's actually not as far off as we might. No, I imagine. mean it, it, the same. Th- I mean, we weren't talking about this, but this, the same thing. Uh, my parents went through a traumatic divorce when I was twelve. Um, mm-hmm. We lived in a basement apartment, uh-huh. and uh, mom slept on the couch so yeah. that my sister and I could have the two bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and had the owner of that house not allowed my mom, to, who made $14,000 a year or something, to yeah. um, to pay when she could pay. I don't right. know what would have happened to us. I mean, right. it was, uh, yeah. and, you know, and we, and we were the fortunate ones. 
Uh, but yeah. our church community, they brought us bread. They paid. They mm-hmm. paid off our electrical bills. They, um, and then eventually, someone anonymously scholarshiped me uh, uh, and my sister to go to a private school. And mm-hmm. that, and and the having an education, a better education, yeah. was like a right. domino effect in my 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 entire life. Wow. I'm so grateful for that. You know, for yeah. that. So anyhow, I, I, I'm totally inspired yeah. by you. Thanks for spending time with us. <laughs> Right. It was good to be with you all. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Um, so she's amazing. Wow. Um, um, so Bishop, when, she, when Kimberly was uh, talking, I remembered being in Rwanda. There was um, a, a ministry there, uh, not unlike a lot of the work that you do in India. I mean, you, you do this... Uh, in a hundred different places, a thousand times a day, but um, uh, but there was this ministry that was a vocational school, and um, I watched as this uh, as this graduate of this vocational school, a woman gave this incredible speech at the commencement for the vocational school. They taught her how to sew. And everybody, as they do in Africa, are like cheering and, you know, whistling and all, all of these things. It's a big, big celebration. It was incredible. I'll never forget the experience of standing there. And afterwards, I walked over to the bishop who ran the vocational school. And he said, one year ago, this lady showed up at our house in rags. And to see what God had done in that woman's life in one year, not just because they cared about her spiritually, but because they cared about the whole person. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, Babel Undone is about stories like Kimberly. Hmm. To undo the devastation caused by evil and our rebellion in society and, and which is really the ultimate reason why the world is in such a mess as it is and somebody coming to ministry with this angle and calling Jesus a social worker and having done that with various people and the story she told about the youth and the women etc and uh, finally of course it comes down to changing that one person just like the story you said so there's a lot to lot to take, and the fact that, you know, without sounding, you know, patronizing or whatever, here's a, another younger woman leading the way forward for us. Yeah, and I was thinking about that as she was speaking. There are there are plenty of people, um, in the body of Christ, that would um, they would have closed ears from the very beginning, uh, because of the because of the denomination or because she's um, a woman uh, a woman who's a priest because of because of because of because of because she came from the you know her back you could list the list the list the reasons why a lot of people would um, shut off the conversation from the very beginning um, but when you stop to listen and, and that's why I, I for me uh, at the end of our conversation uh, it was very very important to make the point um, that uh whatever the theological um, fights are around the world, um, justified or not on a thousand different issues, um, uh, you cannot help but be inspired 
when you see someone who loves the Lord doing the work of the Lord. Um, and, and getting for others. And caring for others. Which and not, not just preaching sermons, like yeah. caring caring for others. And um, that was a very, um, a very, very powerful conversation. I don't think anybody in... Uh, in Kimberly's community would would question that she's a follower of Jesus Christ. They no. see it every every, every single day. Yeah. yeah, she's a leader. Yeah. And um, wow, I mean, it was a that's what that's what the, this that's why we have these these conversations. I, I get a few things, I, I uh, uh, a few applications from this conversation in my own life. It's pretty powerful. Good, thank you, Johnny. Thank you for joining us today for Babel Undone. If this conversation had you thinking, then why don't you share it with someone else? For more episodes of Babel Undone or other amazing content that helps Christians live out their faith, you should head over to premiere.plus. That's premiere, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, for the Americans listening in, dot plus.